All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Can you describe the rocket, sir? Does this mean we're not friends anymore? She didn't announce herself. Jesus but, Christ. But DJ Anubis is here. You're doing me. See, I have I have an excuse. No, you have no excuse. I can't even before, talk with my things. Yeah, but before you even had those in, you couldn't talk. Don't give me that I shit. I do have a bad all. list. But I have hey, a horrible list. Just, December 17th. Coming out. That is as long as I'm... Like, I can't talk. That is as long as I am pleased with the um results i don't I, I don't know if i've even talked about it on this what she needs to do is just put her teeth up on facebook and ask her because every time she asks me i tell her it's great and then she's like no really what, what how is it i you know what i'll do that because i've been taking progression pictures and i like i was looking through from last july not july 2021 but 2020 <laughs> that's when i got them on and I was looking at some of the earlier pictures, and I, I had this one snaggletooth at the bottom, and it was really driving me crazy. I looked like a fucking bulldog. It was like, and, and then I have a really bad overbite, but they've really, the dentist, or excuse me, the orthodontist told me that, you know, unless I wanted them perfectly pushed back and straight, I'd have to get some extractions. And I'm like, you're not extracting healthy teeth. I'm sorry. Um... So the top he always told me is going to have a little bit of a flare, which means it's going to be straight, but it's still going to have that slight overbite to it, which I'm fine with. And it looks good, right? Like the top is very straight, but it still has that. The bottom, though, I'm just not 100% happy with. Maybe it's just because I'm 
so self-conscious about it and i can kind of feel it a little bit no you know the thing is like you're just looking at it from the wrong angle if you look at what your bottom teeth looked like before it's world's better i know like i looked at the one and the one tooth was like going this way and i'm like i mean you have the option once it's done to keep continue doing it which is fine if that's what you choose to do but but i hate it like the real i hate hate wearing them right the reality is it, it is improved your teeth a lot it, it cuts your tongue up like the first because I wear my. It's it's almost like wearing a mouth guard twenty four. Twenty four. You you have to keep them in in order to get a good um results. You need it at least very minimal twenty hours a day. I aim for twenty to twenty two hours a day, and the only extended amount of time that I take it out is in the morning. Um, I brush my teeth. I soak. And that's the good thing about you is like your doctors have even told you that you know. You're better than most when it comes to that because most don't wear them for that prolonged and, period. And of time. He, he, like looking at the the trays, it predicts where they want your teeth to move. And I'm only slightly off on these two teeth, and maybe it's just because it was a bad measurement because the attachments are, are holding. That's the other thing. It's not invisible. I have buttons all over my teeth, and then you click them in. It's painful, especially the first couple of trays because. My teeth were all kind of like well, that's when it sucked starts. in, yeah. and then when they were pushing them out, very painful. They're plastic, so they cut my tongue and my gums up all the time. You have to be really diligent with brushing your teeth. So I always was really good with brushing and flossing, but I I do it minimum three times a day. And in order to not stain your teeth, your um aligners, because I like to drink a lot of coffee and a lot of red wine. I drink out of a straw because if you drink it right, because I've done this before, just drinking wine without a straw, the whole thing turns red. And even with the straw, sometimes it, it turns red. But what I, they look really good, I think. I'm yeah, just, they do. I'm just like super self conscious. She's OCD about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, lot to get in today. A lot of great new music coming your way. I've got some new pathology. Uh, Arch Goat, Omnioid, Goat Torment, Dope Smoker, Swallow the Sun, what else we got here, Bestial Invasion, uh, Outer Tomb, Bullet Ride, Exodus, uh, got a request from our boy Kevin. Kevin! Want some testament later on. Uh, Rock Block got a bunch of stuff also in there, new stuff. Uh, definitely stuff from uh, labels like Curtain Calls, Against PR, Grand Sounds, Inverse, Neko's Pick of the Week. Got a couple reviews, one for Ghostbusters Afterlife that we just went and watched the other day, as well as Tiger King Season 2. Uh, then we have a couple of, uh, we have an update on the Brian Laudry case. Uh, if you haven't been following that at all, that's a very interesting case within itself. And then we're going to revisit... Janet Jackson and the Super Bowl halftime, what do we call it, tragedy? <laughs> no. You the say contra- tragedy, like somebody died. died. No, yeah. well, no, you, it is. Her career died, so. It, it is, it is. But, uh, it was very for, interesting. Yeah, you'll you'll all be uh, interested to in know that Neck and I actually kind of disagree on a lot, some, some of the stuff with this. And we're going to dive into that when we get to it. Uh,. But yeah, I just put out a new video on our YouTube channel, just a little bit of an unboxing. I talked a little bit about tidbits regarding Freya and Patches, our spiders that we got. I know we've discussed that a little bit. 
And then I did a short review for the movie uh, The Strings that's on Shutter right now. So if you want to check that out on our YouTube channel, go do so. Uh, our website is coming along very nicely. We're actually going to be getting together with the woman that's taking care of that for us to try to fine tune that. And uh, then we will update you on when that is ready to go full throttle. It's been a while since Obscure has had a new album out. They do have a new one out right now. And this is uh, one of the tracks from it. It's called Devoured Usurper. And we will be back after this. Oh. Oh. I should oh, oh. Whoa. I should mention. New promo company got a hold of me, Carcosa PR. So we have a song from Descent in there as well in this first block. So nice. Want to show some love to Carcosa PR for that. So thank you very much. Here's Obscura, Devoured Usurper.
Carcosa PR from the new record Order of a Chaos that's mm-hmm. coming out in January 2022. Very, so. very nice. You got a debut there from the new record. Oh and I need to God. check it out because oh it sounds fucking great. God, you're such a nerd. I know, ain't I? So we had a chance to check out um, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Sunday. It was kind of like. So Anubis works on Sundays. And he got out of work early. It was just like a weird scheduling thing. So he um, he was texting me saying, I'm hearing good things about Ghostbusters. And me, I was like, okay, I've never, I didn't care or not care to see it. And um, I was like, well, you know, we're getting ready to go away for Thanksgiving. So let's see if we can do it on Wednesday. And then the crazy thing, the theater closest to us on Wednesday, today is Wednesday for all of you. It was already out of the theater, and I'm like, didn't this thing just come out? I mean, it was so at the bigger theater, it was there. Yeah, I think the hours are different for certain places, and whatever reason, like, you know, just because I don't know, like, some theaters only have a couple of showings where others have like more than four or five, so it's not really out of the theaters, but the way that they try to control the COVID stuff is keep his less people inside as possible so they just kind of split up the time it's really weird the hours because like some movies don't even start till one in the afternoon whereas back when we didn't have COVID things would start like 10 o'clock in the morning so Ghostbusters you know I got out early on Sunday so I said well why don't we just go ahead and go check it out when I get back and we went and did that and uh, you know the funny thing is like there was a lot of skepticism coming into this film because of the 2016 abomination. And see, I, I haven't even seen that, you know. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll let you in on anything that was bad. <laughs> the reason why I'm going to compare them and people are going to be like, why are you doing that? Well, there's a reason for that because mm-hmm. Roger Ebert is his website. Basically, it's kind of funny because he gave Ghostbusters after like one star out of four. His ranking system is up to four. four. But he gave 2016 two stars. <laughs> so I find that very troubling. Wait, 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 what? What did he give Afterlife? One. One star. One out of four? Like bad? Yeah. Yeah. He, he was one of the ones complaining about too much nostalgia. But you and I were discussing before this that the nostalgia aspect of Afterlife is what makes it work. But there's a lot of different reasons why Ghostbusters Afterlife is much better than 2016. I'm going to break it down because, one, it's not about the women. I, already, I stated this when I wrote that review way back when, when I watched it. The actresses did a fine job, but they were handed a shit sandwich of a script. Nothing was really thought out when they made the movie because the idiots in charge when they did 2016 had originally planned for all the original guys to come back. The women were just an afterthought. So they fucking did them wrong by giving them a crap sandwich for a fucking script. On top of that, we go back to 
Janine's character in the original films and Afterlife, and then Chris Hemsworth's character, who plays that particular type of character in 2016, they're vastly different. The whole point that they were trying to make with 2016 was that Hemsworth's character was, was simply portraying a dumbed-down secretary, was what they usually compare to most movies, or like they thought Janine was. But if you remember... Janine in the first two films was a strong fucking woman. She was a secretary, but she was a strong woman. She was hysterical. She was, yeah, quirky, hilarious. She snapped back at people. She didn't take shit. Hemsworth was just a fucking dumb ass motherfucker. And, you know, that was just insulting on so many levels. Even more so than any other fucking woman in any other fucking movie that you try to, like, print, uh, point to. It was dumb to do that with them. Uh... Yeah, I just I never understood the comparison people were trying to make between both those characters. Nothing alike. Janine is a far stronger character. And even in his new one, very cool. The, the cool thing about the new film, Afterlife, is that it has emotion. It has a stronger script. It has a balanced fucking cast. There is a girl in there who is very strong, uh, even the mother. Uh, Paul Rudd is actually kind of funny in this. And uh, it does throw back to a lot of nostalgia, but it does it in the right ways, especially when it comes to Egon. So right now on Rotten Tomatoes, the critics are giving it 62%. Audience is giving it 95%. And that should tell you everything you need to know about between that and 2016. And this isn't... I don't think this was ever something that they wanted to do to try to like correct that mistake they tried something different with 2016 they just didn't go about it, it wasn't right well way. executed right they just didn't go about it the right way they fucked up and this though was actually this is actually considered the third part of the trilogy uh 2016 wasn't meant to be that it was initially but not when they finally got the women in place it was going to be its own thing just a reboot this is actually part of the first two films so you're continuing on from the first two and they had permission from, uh, what's his name, the main, who played Egon? Um, Harold Ramis? Yes. His family gave him the okay to use the, the, the stills and everything to do that, permission to do that. because It, it looked really good, too. Yeah, it was all done in taste. You know, they didn't, like, try to bank on him being dead because he passed away a few years ago, but... They did everything, and it was really amazing how they got it to work. Like, the whole, like, you didn't have to say anything, but you can see he was looking at them and acknowledging, and it was really cool. And very emotional, too, because not just if you're a Ghostbusters fan, but just if you're following a story and you're involved in the story, which basically the synopsis of this is you've got the daughter of Egon, uh, who inherits his house. This is after... We have a guy who lives at this farmhouse. They call him the dirt farmer. The dirt farmer. Who's fighting some sort of ghost demon or whatever and ends up perishing. Uh, you know, you don't ever see his face but it's all nighttime and, you know, he's running. But you have the impression this is Egon. This is how they kind of set this up. Because he had the... the yeah, the... I forgot what it's called. The little ghost, the ghost tester. Yeah, the ghost meter. Yeah. So... You know, the daughter inherits the house. She's struggling wherever. I think they're in L.A. or something. Where were they initially? I don't know. But they were they were behind on their rent. They were getting evicted. Right. And so. she has a, a, a boy, teenager, a young girl. Uh, and 
you know, she's trying to take care of them, but she can't make ends meet, so she gets evicted and ends up taking them to this farmhouse, and they're starting her life over. Now, the farmhouse is a dredge. It's, like, falling apart. It looks uh, like a nice, creepy murder house. Right. And the funny thing is, to this point, the only one that really knows anything about uh, Egon is the daughter. Like, But she's kind of, like, disowned him because he kind he of left. Like left. He left, and she doesn't really remember him. I mean, she said he left when she was basically born, so... Yeah, uh, yeah, and I should say that Egon left even the Ghostbusters, so there's like this tension later on when we see Dan Aykroyd's character uh, taking a phone call that, you know, Egon's dead to me. Like, apparently, he's like, that son of a bitch or something. He's uh, like, he left 10 years ago. Or, right. Well, when, when he left uh, with Echo One yeah. and all of our equipment and... Yeah, apparently what happened was Egon saw that there was something happening that was the end of the world or end of times coming. He kept trying to tell the rest of the Ghostbusters this was what was happening. They really weren't buying into it because there wasn't any real... Because they had ghost... just handled it all in New York. Right. It was the same, like, hellmouth, there, but yeah, apparently there, it moved to the Midwest. Yeah, there wasn't any, like, activity, so they were kind of, like, stalling in terms of work. But Egon had saw some signs that he said, well, no, we're not quite done yet, but no one was really believing us. So he took off and he was on his own as a dirt farmer. And we see him at the beginning trying to capture something. And <laughs> unfortunately, the power that he's got going on just kind of fails him. So he can't really do anything to capture it. He does actually capture it, but... Uh, he can't get the trap. Well, no, he did. Remember, because he got the, the one being. He, he was carrying it, the, the one of the little traps he had. Mm -hmm. He stored it away in the basement of, or in the boards of the house... But the other apparition that was chasing him got him finally. Um, and this is key for later on. So, uh, so yeah, the mother had been kind of like, you know, not really happy because he taken off and left her there and doesn't really call or anything and didn't really feel like that he wanted to be involved with the grandkids and whatnot. So she inherits his house. And, you know, there's a bunch of junk she's planning on selling. The little girl finds a little ghost meter thing that uh he was carrying the night that he died and uh the oldest uh he's i can't what is his fucking name uh finn wolfhard that's a great name uh you'll know him for stranger things he's in that series mm -hmm. um so uh he's the oldest son now he's more interested in working and dating and checking out stuff. that hot girl yeah yeah so he's he's interested in celeste o'connor plays phoebe uh, Carrie Coon plays the uh, the mother, and then you have uh, McKenna Grace playing Phoebe. Why is there two Phoebes? Oh, Phoebe's classmate. Okay, never mind. Uh, mm -hmm. So McKenna Grace is the young daughter mm -hmm. who was fabulous in this. Actually, uh, I really liked her raw emotion. Uh, I love it when actresses can make everything believable, especially when you're dealing with sadness. This is one of the things that kind of drew me to Emma Watson was her ability to like show emotion the way you want it to show on screen uh but McKenna Grace is very very good uh very believable she's just a nerdy girl who when they finally get to this new place you know her mother's like you know just try to meet friends you know socialize like your brother and she's not she's kind of awkward in that way but she does meet uh, a young little Asian guy um 
and classmate who was very funny. Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> yes. How can I forget that? Podcast. And he's very quirky and fun as well. So he uh, befriends her and, you know, then you start hearing about the stories about the dirt farmer. And, you know, of course, everyone's like, oh, you live in that house? You live in the dirt farm? Yeah. <laughs> so then it comes a thing. Now, in the meantime, uh, Trevor, played by Finn Wolfhard, he's, you know, like we said, befriending a bunch of classmates at work. Yeah, he's trying to... There's only like a Sonic there. It's almost like that's what it was, like some little restaurant. Yeah, it was a little roller at. skating place. So he befriends them, and they go out. This is like kind of like Desert Plains, almost... Uh, it's not really Oklahoma or anything. Somerville. Yeah. I forgot what the... But... You know, they start experiencing some paranormal stuff, but they don't really know what that is. I heard it say Gozer. Yeah, yeah, right. And that's key, too. Uh, Paul Rudd, of course, is one of the teachers there who teaches a class of uh, Phoebe uh, in the classroom. So it's kind of funny. It's summer school here. So Rudd's character is there, and he's like, Instead of actually teaching them, because he kind of feels like they're lost causes, he just puts up a, a movie of the week, <laughs> so or movie of the day. So he's like, I think what was it? Uh, Cujo was the first one he put up. <laughs> and then child's play. <laughs> right. So you know, you got these kids that are supposed to be learning something, and he's just showing old horror movies and shit. So while he's in the back, he's actually interested in the seismic activity going on in the in the uh, the town because like there's all these like. Um, periodical earthquakes that happen and everyone just kind of shrugs it off as earthquakes but he thinks it's something else entirely so phoebe who's always interested in science decides to follow him into the back room and she's like looking at all his data what is all this yeah she's like well no no this is this and he's like now nah, he's peaked he's interested in her because she's picking up on what he's picking up on so eventually uh gary gruberson is <laughs> rudd's name uh, ends up meeting the mother and coming to the house and, you know, I forget, they just kind of go on some dates and stuff because he's interested in her and vice versa, but at the same time, you've got all this other shit going on. Uh, how's it, I forgot how they found out who their grandfather was. Oh, it was one, somebody showed it to him through a YouTube video. Yeah. Was they, it Rudd? Yeah, uh, he was like, you didn't, you don't, oh, no, that's it right. was podcast, he was like, you didn't, you didn't. Or was Rudd. Because yeah. he, he said something like... Because they showed him the track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's key. Uh, so Phoebe... they found Phoebe found this puzzle box in the floorboards. This is where Egon had hid that trap for a reason. She pulls it out. Doesn't... Uh, there's no power to it, so she can't do, really do anything with it. So she takes it to school. Paul Rudd's character looks at her and goes, Wow, that's a great replica. He's not realizing that this is a real trap until about a few minutes later. He's like, wait, this is real? So then he wants to power the fucking thing up because he before that though he shows Phoebe and podcasts like the old YouTube clips of Ghostbusters saving New York and all this other stuff. And of course Phoebe sees her grandfather there, Egon, and is very impressed by this because he was a scientist as well. So finally, uh Gruberson is like, Well, we're gonna power this sucker up, so he's got like hooked to a, a a school bus and he's gonna power it up but once he opens the trap like a demon sort of apparition comes out and runs away 
And at that point, <laughs> they're kind of like, hmm, maybe hmm. we should have done that. Yeah, <laughs> about that. And the reason for that is the demon that he let out was one of the demon dogs that Gozer had mm-hmm. from the first film. And we start to realize that what Egon was afraid of was that Gozer was coming back or trying to come back. So what he had done was captured one of the demon dogs so that she, it would prevent her from doing that or prevent it because Gozer was always... Uh, that Okay, I that I was... Mm-hmm, good. Yeah, yeah. Glad glad that you cleared that up for me because I'm like... That was your that was your lost part? Yeah, I was like, why would he just do that when he had everything kind of set up? That's what all the seismic activity was where he had it set up so that um, anytime it started overreacting... Right. So he did have something in this cavern uh, where... It's like a, almost like a hell mouth, like you say. It's all these ghosts and aberrations are trying to come up, but these it's almost like a big power grid that would force them back down. But I think part of the way that Gozer had to come back was she had to have both demon dogs because it was the key maker or the key master, key and master. The gatekeeper had to be together in order to do that. So he captured one of them, and that's why the other one chased him and got him at the end, the beginning of the film. Um. So, yeah, so once now the, the second demon dog's out, now it's a matter of who they're going to possess. And, of course, probably probably more um, expected was that they were going to possess both Gruberson and the mother. That, mm-hmm. was, that was who they were going to possess. And, of course, we have... Gruberson. Nostalgia-wise, we have some really fun stuff. Um, there's a moment when... Uh, Gruberson had already just come off a date with the mother and he's happy and he's at Walmart and he's shopping and he goes by the aisle where the marshmallows are and all of a sudden they start coming alive and it's little mini Stay Puft marshmallow man. Cutest fucking thing ever and he's like, he's, he's trying like, to push it like the Pillsbury Doughboy and then it bit him. <laughs> he's like, ow! Yeah. Uh, so then they're all getting in all sorts of trouble. They're, you know, it's almost like little gremlins going crazy. Uh, then all of a sudden there's a big growl and he's looking around the corner and sure enough one of the demon dogs is there, chases him down. We don't see what happens to him, but we know exactly what happens to him. Right. Uh, then of course the mother gets possessed by the other dog and then all of a sudden we've got them together. Although there is a, a weird a weird moment where the mother is possessed and she's currently looking for the, the gatekeeper. And she sees podcasts and she starts like, oh, are you the gatekeeper? It's, it's almost like this pedophile moment, but uh, obviously it's because she's possessed. And podcast is like, no, I'm not that. Um, so yeah, then we finally they once that they those two meet the mother and the, the teacher meet. Uh, we know that that's going to open up the gate to wherever goes is coming from. And of course, not the same actress that portrayed the first one, obviously, but as someone who has a similar haircut and whatnot. And, she gets on her little throne sitting there, and again, we're faced with, like, she's just kind of sitting there. She's not really doing anything at this point. But then we also know that once that happens, all the ghosts get released. So we've got mm-hmm. all sorts of chaos going on in the city, just like we did in New York. Um, so Phoebe is there. Who was with her at the time? It is the older brother. There's a few of them there. They get, end up getting Ecto-1, which is really cool. One of the best scenes in the movie is when they're actually chasing the, what they call the metal muncher or something, uh, voiced by Josh Gad. That's so funny. Uh, this thing just eats metal. That's all He's it like, does. Chonk, 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 it's chonk. like another version of Slammer, only not as cute. So 
at first they're kind of cruising through the city with Ecto-1 and they're chasing it and of course we have this side seat that comes out of the car and this is where Phoebe's shooting it with the, the gun and the proton pack proton pack and uh so yeah they finally make their way to where Gozer is and you know it just Phoebe's like trying to talk to her as if uh I forget I don't think she asked them did she did Gozer ask her if she was a god I can't remember I know she did later with uh the other guys do you, do you remember she asked her? I can't remember no yeah I don't think she did I don't think she did in that one but she was trying to hurt her or something but anyway pushing on um what Egon was doing with the farmhouse was he had set it up to where the dirt around the house was like a big-ass trap. And his idea was to catch Gozer, uh, if that came to that, catch her in there, and then so she'd be locked up forever. Uh, so as you come out of the, the corn uh, field, you, you know, you have this big dirt lane. It's, everything underground is like a magnetic field of some sort. And then he's got these big power reactors. So that's what failed him the first time with the other dog that was chasing him. Uh, so we're there and um, the trap doesn't work again because the power fails. Um, so Gozer's coming. You're really giving a lot of spoilers. Well, not too much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a brand new movie. You're really spoiling it. Okay, well, I'll leave it at that. Because I won't give you any more sense. Because, I mean, I'm not, I'm just saying, like, it's different when we talk about an older movie, but this just came out, like, a week ago. And if anybody's listening to it, I definitely, we should put a spoiler alert, like, well, on I, our, our thing and say we talk about it, don't want to, you know. Well, I mean, I, I didn't give, like, the total ending away. Yeah. But needless to say, there is a lot of nostalgia in the film. And I like the nostalgia. Like, so I, for me... To me, that's what made the film, really, because even though the characters are interesting, it's well tied into the original two movies. Like, I, I told Neko this the other night, that for me, if I'm not not including 2016, if I'm ranking these films, it's one, Afterlife, and then two. Uh, but obviously, you have to watch them in order just to get to references for everything, but... Uh, there's a lot of great emotion, uh, sentimental stuff towards the end that's worth watching for. There's a couple of Easter eggs that we waited around for, which is fun, which is fun, mm -hmm. especially with another cameo. <laughs> yeah, we're not telling you because everybody got confused at the end. They're like, wait a minute. And then, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was kind of funny because you saw the scene, the Easter egg, first Easter egg. And then like, we're like, well. That person was never mentioned until mm -hmm. all of a sudden, right after that, they mentioned uh -huh. it. So it was kind of funny in that regard. But, uh, yeah, for those like Roger Ebert or whoever thought that the nostalgia hurt the film, I just I disagree. I think it's actually what made it so great. Uh, you know, obviously, if they go any further with this particular franchise they'll have to build on something else at that point. But it was fun just to... This is the way that 2016 should have been uh even if they'd kept the girls as the main actors you know in that film if they had just kind of given them a similar script and said look we're going to tie this into the second and first film great because the reality is they had murray 
and Janine, the woman that played Janine in that movie as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, okay, you, you took all the time to do that, but then you like just butchered the shit out of everything uh, and made it like crap, you know, whatever reason. So Afterlife pretty much fixes everything that 2016 had done, like to try to destroy the franchise. So uh, I disagree with Ebert both on scores like to me 2016 is like not even a one star for me afterlife is definitely at least a three out of four on his ranking system so it's still like a nine out of ten for me on mine so i enjoyed the shit out of it i did too i was getting a little emotional at the end oh yeah 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 Mm -hmm. i was wiping away some tears yeah squirt gonna squirt some gonna All right, kicking off our next block of music. New stuff from Archgo. Worship the eternal darkness. But that's what Gozer said. Oh, <laughs> 
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. doing the rest of the week uh so hulu has a series we watched it for the britney spears stuff uh the frenemy and britney spears but now they have what's called malfunction the dressing down of janet jackson Mm -hmm. so a little documentary on the 2004 super bowl halftime show uh wardrobe malfunction yeah so for any that aren't aware that was the year that Carolina was playing New England in the Super Bowl, and at the halftime, this is one of the more controversial halftime shows because at the time, uh, MTV had been involved, and they were setting up to where they had the likes of um, Kid Rock, Janet Jackson, um, who's the the other artist they had there that was very controversial? Timberlake? No, the other guy. Nelly? Yes. Uh so, you know, these were all artists that were very popular at the time and very controversial with how they approached it. Like, Kid Rock wanted to wear, like, an American flag as a jacket or something, but the network really didn't want him to go do that, but he still did anyway. So there was, like, a lot of this issues where these artists were doing, like, we talked about how Nelly's background dancers, like, stripped off their skirts. Yeah, I'm going to take my clothes <laughs> Right, so, uh, and that's kind of a backstory to what happened with Janet and Justin Timberlake, but, you know, the whole thing with Janet, she has a history with Timberlake in terms of, like, them singing and dancing together and stuff, but on the Super Bowl, Justin's appearance was kind of kept under the down low because it was, like, a big surprise or reveal, and when it happened, everyone's, like, you know, excited, of course, they're singing a song, and... Uh, at the end, Justin, like, rips off a part of her garb up near the breast, and basically it takes a little too much <laughs> and exposes her boob, but it's like she's also got this piercing on her, and that's going to be the key factor in my argument. Well, she's actually going to uh, have her own documentary that's going to be coming out in 2022 where she's going to discuss the incident herself in a two-part, four-hour documentary, so it's going to be her response, I guess, to everything that came out in this this one. Well, I hope that when she does this that she's brutally honest with it because people around her and in the media, like right, these articles that I'm reading, they're really glossing over the accountability that she actually had in this. Like, I understand part of it, because Janet should have never been the only one to take the fall or the brunt of the outrage that happened, which I thought was stupid anyway. Trust me when I say this, I don't even care about that. Like, Neko and I were talking about the other day, we were at a, a house party, basically, with a friend of ours. We were just And we were sitting on the couch out. watching this shit and really not paying much mind because like, the guy that was running the party was DJing and we were just kind of chilling and... It was me, Neko, and a friend of ours named Dan, and we're just sitting there watching this halftime show. 
And then all of a sudden that incident happened, and we looked at each other like, did we really just see was, that? Was that her boob? Right. I'm like, I remember looking at Dan, I'm like, dude, did that just happen? And, uh, but you know, you didn't really think much of it because of the whole halftime show was full of like sexuality and all this other stuff i mean you kind of kind of expected a little bit but it was so crazy after that incident but we weren't how the fcc like right. got on steroids clear channel and all that they all kind of like mm-hmm. went over the fucking edge but this doc is kind of revisiting this because you know there was two careers that changed drastically at that point uh janet being one and justin timberlake being the other but Neko has her point of view on this part of it, whereas I have another point of view because if you watch the doc, it actually does show you bits of evidence of why this was kind of expected. Maybe not to the degree that it happened, but it was kind of expected. And one of those is Janet has like a, I don't know what you call them. They're just the people that help dress you up or put your makeup on. Or all this stuff, they they get your 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 garb ready that you're gonna wear. This same person ended up ordering this nipple ring because apparently Janet had nipple rings of some sort beforehand. But this one was a different type. I it was almost like a little, almost like a lacuna coil star, almost Mm -hmm. uh, sun thing type thing um, that they had ordered for this show. So uh, you can go under the impression that she'd already planned to like view this or uh, put it out there in some way so the other part of this is there's some people who are running this the show like the managers or whatever the stagehands and they're telling janet and justin and everyone who's involved in this what's going to happen that you can do this but you can't do this and this is one of the things to fall back to like nelly like they didn't want those dancers to strip off the, the skirts even though they had garments on their knee uh the idea was that the super bowl halftime show had to be family friendly and you know kid rock's giving the finger you know just yeah, and he's wearing the flag like a poncho right i mean we expect this because these are very controversial artists anyway but uh they were specifically told for this show like to tone it down and same thing with jen and justin like like look like, you guys are gonna do this uh, you can have freedom to do whatever you want, but we've got to keep it clean. And, of course, the incident happens, and all of a sudden, shit's just gone nuts. And, you know, the people who are in charge of keeping this stuff clean are confused because they're like, wow, they didn't tell us they were going to do that. Now, granted, according to Justin and Janet, that particular thing should not have happened in that way like there was definitely something that was supposed to come off i think it was just her dress or something kind of like the skirts she was supposed to um because she has like a little bralette underneath of her corset and from what they're saying is it it was supposed to just like rip off her corset and her bra but it ripped off her bra too yeah so you know it went further than it should have but at the same time, I'm, I'm always sitting there going, well, she has that nipple ring on there, so, like, there must have been some plan in some way to show that. And I don't know how... Just because you have... She had pierced nipples. Like, she, it could have just been her wearing okay, a nipple Okay, but why ring. would they order order that particular one for that be right before that show? It's circumstantial. <laughs> yeah. It really is. It's jewelry. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I call it coincidental. Uh, no, that that seemed intentional for me. Uh, now, for those that don't know, you can tell on video, man, this happens that Jackson is a little bit distraught. She didn't expect that to happen. Uh, I'm not sure I believe it 100% personally, but she apparently leaves the halftime show like just gets on a plane and jets like the fuck out of there like she is not pleased and she said the decision to have a costume reveal at the end of her show was made after the final rehearsals and apparently justin was on tour and he only rehearsed like a few a few a few times with with janet right and i i do honestly believe that she was just trying to rip off her like rip off her corset kind of like Nelly's dancers took their skirt off and were wearing like booty shorts yeah and but the, the but prob- see bras do come unattached like that if he grabbed her bra and ripped it and the bra would come off with the corset it's just depending on the type of bra that you're wearing that well, day well the argument for that is obviously her look and his look even he seemed kind of shocked like mm-hmm. at the end of it but uh my biggest issue, of course, is that they still changed something after the fact. They were told not to do certain things, and this is what happened. So they were already going against the rules that they were told by changing something they shouldn't have. This is what really puts everybody in a bind, including the people running the show, to keep things in order. Yeah, but Janet's the one who took the blame for the entire okay, halftime show. Okay, but we're going to get to that. Um, so... Obviously, Neko and I kind of disagree on some of that. But what I do agree with Neko on is when all the chips fall and everything is coming down, the only one to really face any scrutiny or outrage is Janet Jackson, which is kind of bullshit. Uh, It's bullshit for two things, two reasons. One is there's a lot more involved, like Nelly, Kid Rock, and all of them. They should have been taking heat as well. Uh, Plus... To me, you've already signed these artists to come do this show. You know who they are. You know what they're they're, they're very controversial. They they push the limits. So the fact that anybody's shocked that any of them did this makes you an idiot for putting them there in the first place. So the company, like was it Les Mumes? Is mm-hmm. that his name? CBS. Those guys all take need to take blame, too, because you're the ones that fucking brought these guys in. You wanted them to do these shows. They were hip. You wanted to like, have a great halftime show, which most people that watch this shit were probably entertained. We were entertained. And neither of us here really cared that much that her boob got exposed like that. Like it's It was shocking just because we didn't expect it. But we're not making a big uh, mountain of a molehill here about it either. Like, it's just, it is what it is. They, on the other hand, being the artists, uh, they took a little bit more of a person, especially Janet. Uh, but here's where shit gets really weird because Janet starts to get thrown under the bus by everything and everybody, including her, Timberlake. Yeah, all of her stuff gets revoked. She was supposed to be on a Luther Vandross uh, tribute. That gets pulled. Um, and then the Grammys were coming up, and she had already issued her public apology, and the Grammys wanted her to issue another 
apology and she's like no yeah and that's this is where you and i were disagreeing again with this was that there came a point where cbs wanted both justin and janet to come alive come on live for one of their award shows and the grammys the grammys to apologize in person justin would have no problem doing it um janet did not want to do it now Timberlake, he agreed to apologize on air because that's what they wanted. They wanted them to come on air on the Grammys and, and issue a public apology. Right. They had already issued public apologies, both of them, ahead right. of time. But in a, So Timberlake, he agreed to apologize on air because he knew he was up for a bunch of Grammys. Right. So he attended issue, and issued his apology. He played ball. He had this $6 million thing with McDonald's. That never gets pulled. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing. Like, and this is where I think that Janet probably let pride get in her way a little bit. Like, it's not that she deserved to have all the heat on her, but at this point, you kind of have to play ball. You kind of have to say, "Okay, this shit happened. I don't like the way it went down, but if I'm going to save my fucking career, I've got to go do this." And after she d- didn't do it, they. They stopped playing her songs on the radio. Right. I mean, everything like... got stripped from her at that point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why the media and and the people around the world, the audiences, kind of looked at it and said, "Well, maybe she is doesn't care that she did that. Like maybe she really did know. And like if even from someone like me who thought she knew about all that stuff, even if I wanted any kind of doubt, something like that would tell me, well, if you're not gonna." come out and admit or say sorry then maybe you really did want that to happen and that's the problem and well i think her biggest issue too was at the beginning of all this there was someone who was saying to justin like it it was only like a week between the super bowl and the grammys and it all started off as fun and games like especially with Justin, they're like, oh, it looks like you got nasty with Miss Jackson, and they were, like, playing it off with him. Like, Justin was not getting the scrutiny at all. And I think that's why she just shut up and went away, because she's like, as time went on, he's the one, he's in, he's up for these Grammys, he's, his face is out there, they're talking to him, they're, and he's the one, and then finally he he's the one who, um, I don't know what the right term is, but he's like, yes, regrettably, it was a wardrobe malfunction. And so he changed his tune because he wanted to kiss the ass of the Grammys because he knew he, and he won two Grammys. Well, he also started realizing that people were coming down on him because, you know, when he first came out after the show, after a couple of days, he was like, well, yeah, you know, we like to be controversial, you know, we'd like to do stuff like that. And then like, you know, he had made comments like, you know, she's so fine. And Janet Jackson is very beautiful. So uh, sometimes people, when they criticize, when it comes to se- the war of the sexes, they, they they tend to criticize men who, you know, come out and say that a woman is beautiful or sexy or whatever. And in this case, like, I don't think T- Timberlake really knew how to react to this. It wasn't something he was expecting. And... He didn't really know what to say because he probably didn't have a chance to even talk to Janet after the fact. Like, that probably would have helped them both to have a sit-down discussion about what the fuck happened. So, P. Diddy, I, I, didn't, I didn't know this. Um, he also went to the Grammys. He was also there at the show. And he said, um, 
he told the New York Times, I have three sons. I don't mind. I'm happy for them that they were able to see one of Janet Jackson's breasts in their lifetime. I don't think they'll be scarred for life. And then he added, if he had known in advance of Jackson and Timberlake's secretly planned striptease act, he would have exposed America to something that you still would be talking about. So I think they were all trying to one-up each other, like with the sexiness, but I honestly don't think that her boob was supposed to come out. I think that they were just because I think her bra was supposed to be exposed. I'd probably be more lenient on her if they hadn't changed something after the fact. Like, they knew they were going to go do something that wasn't approved by the people that were running this halftime show. So that's part of my problem with Janet. Now, even whether or not she actually planned and intended to show a boob, who knows. The other thing, too, is, like, again, Timberlake had this huge McDonald's deal for how many years? I mean, I don't even know if he still has it. And that stayed in place. He didn't get in trouble for anything. And then... He came back and he was at the uh, at the Super Bowl again, but then he was being all like, "That's him being, you know, I'm I'm family man, JT," and he's singing like the troll song and you know. JT, like I said, like you said, he was playing ball, and his career went on. Now he was playing ball because he knew he was supposed to be winning those Grammys. I mean, they don't know ahead of time, but he, you know, he knew. They probably said. You're gonna win these two Grammys. You need to shut the his his publicist, his his managers, and all probably told him. Well, if that's the case, then Janet should have been listening to her own publicist and PR people because they probably were telling her the same thing. Like, you need to get the fuck on there and keep your your show your image alive. Um, I you know there is another point to this that you know she's female. She she was the one ex- exposed. So maybe it hits harder for her than it does anyone else. And, you know, there is that, not just pride, but the sense of, like, uh, embarrassment about it. But, you know, you'd already come out and apologize a couple times beforehand, so I don't see why she just couldn't go do it again. Well, this is is the reason, because, again, yes, I know, Justin Timberlake played ball. He, you know, he's the one who kissed everybody's ass because he knew he was going to be this is the beginning of his his career NSYNC opened for Janet Jackson I think in 2000 like that's how they first that's how they first met so what was really happening is as I was saying as time was going on it was more like Justin is the golden child and Janet is the whore she's the older like uh fucking um, what do you call it, Cougar, who is this poor young, you know, white boy who's so, like, clean cut, and he just happened to be involved in this thing where her boob got exposed. Motherfucker, haven't you ever listened to Future Sex Love Sound? I mean, Christ, that's that entire album is about fucking. See, the problem is, though, like, people are trying to make it such a white and th- black thing that I just, it annoys me. No, it's not I'm... about a white and black thing. It's a it's but a clean-cut little little innocent, oh, Justin's so young, he's only, like, 24, he didn't know what he was doing, but he's like, yeah, I got to grab well, her But see, I, I kind of agree with that, because, again, she's she's already taken off, she's gone. There's no way for anyone to know at that point. Because she's never made any statements at that point about what happened. She just she made her statement, and then they didn't accept it, and they kept no, no, like, no. coming I'm after her immediately after the Super Bowl. This yeah, is... you know what? Justin Timberlake's. He's like, oh yeah, I yeah, got but to see he. Your that's what I'm saying. He didn't know what to do. 
he did what he thought was best mm. to try to just to gloss and it don't over. you think that might have been what janet thought was best is just to separate herself from the situation because it didn't go the way she thought it was gonna go sure but then like you can't really say well justin's gaining from this he's handling it because he's the only one there doing interviews she's gone she's not talking to anybody and Justin, so it's hard. and Justin continually throughout his career would make slights about the incident and jokes about the incident. And get, I know Janet Jackson faded into the background, but maybe that's what she wanted to do because she ended up having a kid. And well, I don't know if that's what she wanted to do. Maybe because, it was because she, like, at that time, I'm trying to think. She, I, we did see in the doc that she had done an interview with one of the talk show hosts and the guy kept trying to I think it was Letterman trying to prod her into which is what he does to prod her into like talking about the incident she didn't really want to do it she was like she was really not in the mood but but what I just you know all the backlash in Timberlake just is kind of ridiculous to me it's the same thing with the the Britney Spears shit like this guy's taking so much heat now even though he's he's been even though he holds himself accountable and he's apologized and he says I should have been better. Yeah, but guess what? He's a fucking multimillionaire and he nothing happened to his career. Because like he, everything because happened. he did everything they wanted him to do. They, he apologized. All she had to do was apologize. She already did apologize. Not live and not in person. That's what they wanted. She would be rocking up album after album if she just come fucking do that would she though yeah what no really would she she would be would she? she's very talented she's i know she's artist. very talented but what she was turned into she was the one who who was made an example of. but that's what that was set up for they were setting that up to put the shit to bed no they weren't they, yes, was, they, they were. still kept using her for years that's because she didn't show up <laughs> You and I just never going to see eye to eye in this. No, we're not. Because let's just talk about having a regular fucking job. Not being an entertainer, not making an apology, not doing anything. If your boss told you that you had to apologize or take the blame for something that you don't feel was your fault, you would tell them to go fuck yourself. Except for if I knew that I had already broke the rule to do that, that stunt, yeah. I would have to take accountability. For you it. wouldn't, because I know you. No, you, no, you that's not true. Out of things. Yes, that's because I was in my right. Maybe Janet feels like she was in her right. And she then was she, not, though. See, that is your opinion, and that is what has happened over these years, for <laughs> years. Yeah, but the problem is, they were supposed to follow certain rules. They broke the rules, so no matter how it ended. They broke the rule. She's accountable for that. Okay. So, so that is was... Justin. So is Nelly. So right. is P. Diddy. And so is well, Kid Rock. Yeah. All of them are. But right. she's the only one. And that's where we agree. Like, those. I, I'm not even counting Justin because Justin did what they asked. He didn't handle it right after the fact because he was trying to play it off in a different way, which is wrong because he made it look like it was something that was great and it wasn't. Exactly. But. In the end of the day, he went back and he apologized. He did. Now, for Nelly and Kid Rock, those guys should have faced far more scrutiny than even Janet. And that was a tragedy. And, But, you know, Janet never wanted to apologize live. That is what That was the turning point. Because the minute she chose not to do that, it just backfired on her. And I don't know if that was advice from a PR, if that was just her decision. 
Because what what would make it if she apologized? How, what guarantee? There's no guarantee. Exactly. So but, stop. But there was so, this... Listen, don't quit cutting me off. If she apologized and she played ball, what guarantee would it be that she would still not be the one who gets... Because then it'll be, okay, Janet, now you need to do an interview with so-and-so. Now you need to do this. It would never end. She just wanted to make it go away. And that was her choice. But because she went away and stayed quiet, she was the one who took the brunt of everything. Well, okay, I want to play your own little card here. If she had apologized, what guarantee is that she would have to sit there and do interview after interview? Because Justin had to do interview after interview. I don't think so. Yes, he did. He might have talked about it occasionally. I don't think he had He's to go had on to do Oprah multiple interviews. He had to apologize at the Grammys because, and then he still sometimes, makes fun of it. Sometimes you just have to do that, especially if you've done something that was already in the wrong. I'm always going to go back to the point that they were already breaking the rule when they started to do that scene, that dance maneuver. It didn't turn out very well, obviously. And I feel bad for Jan because she is a great artist and very beautiful and everything else. But at some point, you have to kind of suck up your pride, know that the mistake was made, and just get out there and make it right. She said, I I apologize for the mistake. That wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. That was what the problem is, is it wasn't enough. And because she said, no, it is enough, they decided it wasn't enough. Yeah, but there's no guarantee that if Justin hadn't gone on that CBS for the Grammys, that his, there's no guarantee he would have been. He probably would have been ousted too. We don't know that. Everybody assumes that because he's white. And this goes back to the race thing, that if Justin hadn't gone to the Grammys and apologized live, that his career uh, wouldn't have been worked out. Everyone thinks it would have been the same. No. That was the whole point. That's why CBS, that guy Munez or whatever, didn't want... It was either they were going to do that or they weren't going to have anything on the radio at all. And Justin thought about his career and said, you know what? Shit happens. I got to go apologize, play ball, even if I don't agree with it. And he took advantage of it. And anybody would. But Janet said no. She said, okay, my pride's too much. It isn't my fault alone. That's fine. I I don't really uh, disagree with her in that regard. If she doesn't really feel like she did anything wrong, although I think that once you've changed the routine and you're doing it behind your lead people's backs because you want to be controversial or whatever or spontaneous, however you want to call it, that you've already set in motion the chain of events that follow. So... Even if she didn't plan on the the boo being out there, the reality is you've already changed the routine to the point that you've led up to that point. So you do hold some responsibility for that. But I've already admitted CBS, MTV, the other artists on that, that day all deserve a fair share of blame. Justin, he can't do much more now. He's already apologized a few times before that. Now he's even now, years later, apologizing to both. Apparently he's good with Janet Jackson. That's fine. That's what you want. You don't want that to be a sour relationship. But I don't think he himself intended for her to get buried like that. And even though the the media has tried to paint him like that, I don't think that's his intention at all. He was trying to save his own fucking career. And any fucking artist would do that. Any of them. 
That's just how it is. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Well, he did to Britney, too, so might as well do it to Janet Jackson. What did he do to Britney besides date her? <laughs> he, uh... Wasn't he just he said she was crazy or some shit? He, uh... He, when did the conservatorship start? I'm trying to think. It's just... It feels like Justin, for some reason, is just untouchable. He's like the golden boy. Well, he is now. I mean, like... And... He, he... He now he's like he's responded recently like where he said I'm deeply sorry for the times in my life where my actions contributed to the problem where I spoke out of turn or did not You know not what that is up. though? You know what that is though? That's white guilt. Mm-hmm. White guilt. Whatever. He he wrote one of his songs has a whole uh little part about uh Janet Jackson's boob. I forgot what song it is, though, but there's a song where he's talking about, like, did I take it too far, uh, something about nipple ring and Super Bowl. I don't know. I just, he's the golden child. He didn't lose any endorsements when he was the one who clearly took part in the entire thing. Willingly. It's agree to disagree in terms of where the accountability really falls, but... All right, let's get back into some music because we're not getting anywhere with this discussion. <laughs> uh, I got some uh, brand new stuff from Swallow the Sun in here. Also, new stuff from When the Deadbolt Breaks. Do you remember the guy on my old Mayhem forum like years ago? Uh, I can't remember his name. He's really funny though. But he was a part of this band early on. I have no idea who you're talking about. I don't remember his name. That's the problem. This is a shame because he was so funny. You you know many funny people. I know. Alright, anyway, we're gonna kick it off with some brand new dope smoker. This is New Era.
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now.
looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you Yeah. 
DJ Nubis. And DJ Nico. That was Fear Out, the end of the beginning. The end of the beginning and the beginning of the end. So now it's time for Neko's Pick of the Week, and I'm going to turn it over to her. You're turning it over to moi? Moi. So I, um, this week, the song I picked is, like, from one of my favorite bands ever, Judas Priest. And it's it's one of those weird, like, for me, Judas Priest is, is amazing, but, like, with Judas Priest, everything that they do, I just feel sometimes is so groundbreaking. And this particular song was their song that kind of really got them on the map in the U.S., right? So, this song is kind of like a nice rock anthem. It's about, like, being carefree and you're like listening to this song and you're blasting it on the radio and life is good and blah 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 I really feel like um, every time I hear it I don't know I kind of like it was on rock band right so I feel like yeah, it's, it's just like this mm. and for me before I met DJ Anubis like this is kind of around the time I think where I thought this was the end of Judas Priest and I didn't realize that they kind of like uh, had their rebirth with Painkiller. So like meeting DJ Anubis and he's like, have you ever heard, you like, you like Priest? Have you ever heard Painkiller? I'm like, oh, well, yes, I do. I, I, I do. Thank you for sharing this with me. But one thing that made me really think about this song and it's, I've seen it so many times in random shows like you'll see people like walking into a bar and this song is playing like the dun 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 at the beginning right so last night i'm a big sex in the city fan i don't know if i've kind of said that to this group before i know they know i'm a big gilmore girls fan right i'm watching sex in the city again because the re i don't want to know it's not a reboot it's just like a continuation of their story is coming out on hbo and um one episode was about this woman, Lainey, who was a really good friend of um, the girls, and she worked, she did PNR for um, some record company. Anyway, when you go, when they do like the Lainey flashback, this song was the song that like represented Lainey because she had like the tight leather pants on and like the crop top and. They're like, oh, words can't describe Lainey. She would go out of, out of town to sign a new band and come back with an STD that was unpronounceable. Like, it was just really funny. And that's kind of like what I, I coincide with this, this uh, song. Like, it's like the rock song. Right. And this song's playing in the background while Samantha, Carrie, and Miranda are, like, judging Lainey for, like, taking off her top and stuff. And, and Samantha's like, if she fucks on that couch, she's buying it from me. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was just kind of funny that I watched that episode last night, and this is the song that is my pick of the week, and I'm like, also, you know, to do a 180, the original series of Sex and the City premiered in 98, so a lot of, when they do flashbacks about people, happens in the 80s, which, you know, this song is from the 80s. And now that they're going to be doing this new, like, season, 
which is going to be taking place in current time, you know, 2021, I, I'm, I'm wondering, like, what kind of flashbacks that we're going to see that it might be, like, 90s flashbacks, if we're lucky. I don't know. But this song, seriously, I, I always joke with DJ Anubis um, that this, like, Rob Halford, he should just wear this outfit the leather vest with the leather wristbands and the leather pants and i follow him on instagram and facebook and stuff and he's like just wearing a t-shirt and sweatpants and i'm like no this is not acceptable <laughs> and rob halford actually he just shared this um he has prostate cancer hmm. and um he has survived the fight but he um He's he said never give up, but he hasn't really like opened up about it until recently. He's he said he's in remission right now, but I really like when I hear about a man with prostate cancer or um, pancreatic cancer. Those two are like really tough to detect early before it spreads, and I'm just like praying, you know, I can't have the metal god, you know. It's just. I love Rob Halford. Love, love, love him. I mean, I honestly do. I follow him. He just looks like a normal... He looks like a guy who would go to his concert. Right. You know what I mean? That's how he dresses. Just, like, very casual. But when we saw... How many times we see Judas Priest and he's got that one leather trench coat and it's all studded and he comes out on his motorcycle and he's got his hat and... I love him. He he has so many costume changes. He really loves his music. The band loves their music. I really love this song. It is such a rock. I don't I hate saying the word anthem because it's not like this big like, you know, but it it's to me the epitome of what like rock music sounds like. So without further ado, I would like to present to you Judas Priest singing You've Got Another Thing Coming. Attention please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome DJ Neko's Pick of the Week.
Hey, Frankie. Hey there, Louie. I need some new material. You're telling me. I mean, all my jokes are frog-related. No uh, kidding. I need ferret insults. You need a hobby. Hey, what do you think of this one? Hey, ferret, your mother is a prairie dog. What's that supposed to mean? Y your mother is a prairie dog. Yeah, is this supposed to be funny? Well, I don't know. Okay, how about this? Hey, ferret, your mother's a bushy-tailed mongoose. What's with all the mother jokes? I don't know. They work. Louie, if you want to insult him, say something really derogatory. Yeah, like what? Like, hey, ferret, your slapstick brand of humor is less intelligent than my witty, dialogue-driven banter. Well, that's a half an hour long. Well, it makes him think. It's very psychological. All right, let me give it a Come try. On, give it a shot. Hey, ferret! Your dialogue-driven slapstick is humorless and, and without banter for all. See, I don't think he understood it, Frank. Well, you didn't say it right. I said it as best I... Hey, Ferret, your mother's a weasel. <laughs> See that? It works every time. <laughs> I heard him. I stung him with that one. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Going back a ways with uh, Frank and Louie on the limb out in the swamps. And the ferret, of course. And the ferret, of course. So before we get into the next topic, what you um, got? What you got? What you got? What you got? We have an update. Uh, now, Grant, Neko, and I don't really dive a lot into this stuff, but uh, the other day, for those that know, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was found not guilty of murdering men in uh, Wakusha, Illinois, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. You're yeah. right. You're right. Uh, actually, Kenosha is where he was. Um, due to self-defense and the evidence proved that to be the case now before that there was an incident in um i think georgia uh where a young man was jogging black man was jogging and uh some white man who suspected he was robbing places even though he wasn't in an act of uh, robbing anything uh drove got in a truck with their guns and drove down tried to make a what they call citizen's arrest mm, citizen's arrest eh? so one of the men who confronted the jogger who is uh, Ahmad Arbery uh, ended up getting in a tussle with the gun because they were blocking his path from jogging he was like trying to run they were trying to cut him off ended up shooting Arbery and killing him so they were on trial recently as well and as of a few minutes ago, they have been found guilty of murder, which is good because they were definitely trying to do a modern lynching, which is ridiculous in this day and age. Oh, I agree. So unlike the Rittenhouse case where I, I'm 100% sure that was in self-defense, I know some people disagree, but evidence proves that he was definitely defending himself. This is not the case with this case. Uh, so I'm glad to see that we're actually getting the right verdicts for each thing. We're not just like making a blanket thing well as i've said before to you about these types of things um a lot of times it depends on what uh what state you're in mm -hmm. so this one one was in wisconsin where was this i, I think it was like georgia or something so every and I, I hear people, even people in the United States, they're like, they complain about, you know, they're, that justice is not equal. And it, it really isn't because every state has, and municipality have different laws. Also, the Rittenhouse thing. Yes, he shot someone in self-defense, 
they were going after him and charging him with murder one. They can't prove it's murder one. If you were lowering the charges to manslaughter, yeah, it, it is manslaughter. But they didn't do that. I know these are all technicalities and people are like, oh, it's technical. Yes, it it's is. It's the same mistake they made in the uh, Zimmerman, Trevon Martin mm -hmm. case because they went after Zimmerman with the murder charges when they easily would have had manslaughter. They would have had a tougher time Rittenhouse because it's still self-defense. However, if you want to make the argument that Rittenhouse probably shouldn't have been there with the AR-15 and everything else, you could have successfully gotten like a manslaughter charge. They didn't do that. They went with murder, and that's why it makes it much harder to convict somebody like, like that in that case. Now, I don't think Rittenhouse deserved manslaughter either. However, as Neko pointed out, if you're going to go that route, you have to be objective about it and say, what can we get that will stick? If you're going with murder, that's never going to win. These prosecutors are dumb as fuck. And that's the other problem, too, is there is a certain due process. There is a certain way that things have to be... And this, I am not... Please don't think I'm, I'm like, defending anything. I'm just telling you this is why things end up the way they do. Sir, you know, you see it all the time with some of these horrible people who get off on technicalities. Mm -hmm. And it's because they have O.J. Simpson. Mm -hmm. They have these people who are their defense attorneys who are able to, you know, O.J. had how many people working on his defense? And the prosecution, prosecution only has, like... Like Whatever the state, three, yeah. you know, I mean, they have a whole team, but these are, you know, these are state-funded people. This is why sometimes you you get an outcry. I I get it, and I, I totally am sympathetic because you have people like O.J. who are billionaires at the time he was. And he has that capability to fund, yeah, he has, he has a, to fund this kind of defense. You also have to think about, and the reason OJ's trial went the way it did is because the prosecution really fucked it up. Yeah, we, that, we talked about yeah. the doc on that, and that was actually a very enlightening thing because the one guy uh, portrayed by the actor you like on this is Sterling Cable yes, Brown. He uh, he went on a limb to try to do something with the glove. And that's what sort of like got OJ off because he thought for sure he could nail him with the glove fitting. Mm -hmm. And he went kind of against, uh, who's the female in that one? I forgot her name. Marsha Clark. That's her, that's her real name. Right, right. Uh, he went against her best judgment with that because she had recommended not to go that route. And, but they trusted in each other. So obviously they allowed, uh, his character to do that, but it backfired massively on mm -hmm. him. Now, with Rittenhouse, or I'll go back to Zimmerman first, because Zimmerman, you could easily have made uh, a charge about him menacing Trevon Martin. Martin, again, this is another case where Zimmerman is your basic uh, citizen in the area he patrols, which is normal for some... Uh, we even have it around here, but I mean, right. we don't do it armed, but... Right. But... Zimmerman is going, he sees this kid, doesn't recognize him, starts following him. He's on the phone. He's doing the right things, like in terms of talking dispatch, cops. 
what ends up happening is they're telling him on the phone not to pursue him, to like, you know, not to engage with him. So by the time the Zimmerman loses track of Martin, he's in some parking lot or something and then out looking around outside of his car. Well, Martin at this point doesn't know who he is because he's not in a uniform. He's not in a marked car. So Martin has no idea who this guy is. Confronts him. They get into an altercation. And in the end, Zimmerman uses his weapon to defend himself is what they went with and shot Martin and killed him. The problem is... Zimmerman was told time and time again not to pursue him, to let it be and let the cops handle it. He didn't do that. So if I'm a prosecutor, I'm like, I gotta get this on manslaughter, but that's not what they did. They went for the murder charge, mm -hmm. thinking that he was just setting out to kill Martin. We don't believe that at all. Now, after the fact, Zimmerman has a history now of getting into issues with the law enforcement. He's not killing people but he's he's you know getting in traffic violations with carrying guns in his car just various things that show you that Zimmerman really isn't the best guy that should be on the streets anyway but this is where the prosecution failed they didn't they didn't go with the right a type of charge and therefore he got off because of where they were trying to go with the murder charge somewhere with Rittenhouse if you're trying to set an example or change like to me if you're gonna ask me does do we need to have laws change about with what Rittenhouse did in terms of coming in from another state and even though he was supposed to provide first aid he's carrying an AR-15 if you're asking me do we need laws that kind of change that yes but that doesn't just mean Rittenhouse that also means like the third guy that got shot who survived had an unarmed or uh, a, a non-permitted light uh, weapon on them so we need to change a lot of things like people who are protesting have no business having guns period so but if you're a prosecution and you're trying to like find a way to at least get something on this kid you know you don't go with murder when you know for a fact that it's not murder because you have to prove premeditation you can't prove that and some of these guys these whether they're getting people talking in their ear from government officials or whatever is the wrong thing. You need to use common sense. And Neko hit it on the head when she brought it up that they're approaching these things the wrong way. You can't go with a fucking murder charge. You can't assume or hope that Rittenhouse is going to get scared enough to, to plea bargain with you about it. So you just you got outed. You know, like they just lost, and that's the problem. Now, in the case of Arbery, this was like pretty much an open shot case. Now people were tense because of what happened with Rittenhouse that they're like, oh my God, these three guys are going to get off for killing this mm -hmm. guy for jogging. I kind of knew that wouldn't happen because it was such a dead on case. Uh, Arbery's just simply going down the street. Now whether or not he actually was the guy that was robbing places, like he was caught on video going in a house that was being uh, refurbished or remade up and he was just looking around and left again to go back jogging but that doesn't prove that he was stealing anything that doesn't prove that he was breaking into houses over the course of the weeks that they were talking about it still didn't give the right to these three guys to go and hunt him down or try to stop him there's no the citizen arrest shit is bullshit it just is unless you're trying to stop this guy from like hurting somebody you just leave him alone call the cops whatever if you feel like he has to be investigated that's all you do uh, these guys clearly went looking for trouble. They clearly looking for an altercation with Aubrey, and then 
it ended the way it did and now they're going to go to prison which is the right thing to make so i'm happy about that however that's not really what our topic was about uh i'm going to again turn it over to neko because we've got this case with this guy and this girl who were basically i don't know what you would even call them because they've been kind of living out of vans yeah they were van dwellers hikers and, and um they were they were influencers yeah so um what the hell was his name Oh, uh, uh, Brian Laundry. Yeah. So Brian Laundry was the boyfriend, and um, Gabby Petito was the girlfriend, and those two were living in a van, going like across the country. They were social media influencers. They were they were on Instagram. They were, you know, on Snapchat, Facebook, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and they were taking pictures. And just, you know, enjoying life. Well, there. Were, if you have been following the case, Gabby and Brian have kind of had this, like, hot, cold kind of, like... Uh, Apparently it was, like, kind of volatile because they were, at one point, the cops had to be called because they were Well, fighting. they were fighting at a diner and they were called and, like, smacking each other and everything. And that was right before Gabby went missing and then they found her body. Well, then Brian ended up going back to Florida, and then he went missing, too. And they recently found his body maybe about two weeks ago, and the uh, final autopsy reveals that he died of a gunshot wound to the head. Yep. So the sad thing is, like, we assume he killed Gabby. It could have been the altercation got out of hand, and then he dumped her, like, out in... I think they were in New Mexico. Yeah, that's quite a far away um i mean because they're very young look at this picture of the two of them like they're very very young yeah the thing was when they were in a domestic uh, assault thing and the cops were showed up they based both of them told the cops like we're in love we're engaged we just we're not going to press charges against each other and then they were let to go on their way which you know what are you going to do um but really shortly after that is when Gabby was killed, strangled to death. Um, then this guy Brian ends up coming back home and he doesn't have her with him. And then, like, all the questions. The biggest thing about all that was for me was immediately when he returned, he told his lawyer about everything, or at least as far as like maybe he didn't even admit what, what happened, but he just told his lawyer, like, I don't want to talk to them. And the lawyer's like, Yeah, he's not saying anything to anybody. And I thought that was troubling, especially. When he wasn't going to talk to the cops or anything. That's a really big uh, red flag. Uh, then, of course, he disappears. And the parents of Brian, you know, they say that he's, like, hiking in some woods. It was in Florida. Mm-hmm. But they found him. So they initially couldn't find him because apparently his remains didn't get exposed until the water had receded in some of the swamp areas that he was in. And uh, surprisingly, like, gators and shit didn't eat them <laughs> you know right consider how many there are out there but um yeah initially they said it was kind of inconclusive how he died and you know everybody's waiting to see what the results were and now they've come up with the final results and then i guess a gunshot to the head uh definitely gives the uh impression of a suicide uh whether or not this guy left any kind of evidence of a suicide note or anything i don't know um the other thing, too, is they're talking about um, trying to 
charge his parents with obstruction of justice. Which is possible because... But, I mean, they are saying they had no idea where he was. Yeah, but I think at the, the very first time when he first arrived home when he wasn't really talking to the police. And... Well, they admitted he was there, but then he left. So that's that's what I'm saying. Like, maybe... Maybe they have more information that they were hiding or something. I don't know. But either way, uh, it's really unfortunate. And it's, you know, in some ways I say it's the easy way out. But at the same time, it's like they're going to save taxpayers money. So Or maybe he was just... This is why I'm... Because we don't know. What if he didn't really kill her and he was just so scared and distraught that he killed himself because he thought there was no way out? Now we don't know what is going to happen with her. They're just going to assume it was him. Like, what if it wasn't him? We're all. If ass- it wasn't, he should have left anything that would say, look, this is what happened, but I got scared. I don't know. To me, it doesn't really make a lot of sense because did they... It is sort of like the OJ thing. Like, you you know, you have physical violence. Like, I don't get physical with you. Like, it's not... Mm-mm, no, we really don't. I don't ever believe anybody who says they love somebody is going to hurt them in any way, shape, or form. It's, it's not something that I endorse. I don't... People have told me that, oh, shit just happens. I don't believe that. I don't think so. You, if you love someone, you're not doing that. You're not hitting them. You, regardless of how many arguments you get into, you just don't do it. And, you know, whether or not he did or didn't kill her, it doesn't matter because he has a history there of violence with her. And, again, I guess, you know, if someone else did hurt her, like, it's better to just go through the law to try to figure out what happened rather than, say, run away and then kill yourself because everything will point to you anyway. Uh, not even talking to the cops was really bad. Like, it's just... it's. It's just a lot of alarms there for me. Well, that's what I mean. That's why I get so upset about it because I um I don't know what happened to Gabby. Like they they clearly have a gunshot wound to the head for um Brian. Now, what if what if Brian didn't kill himself? Cuz they just found like bones. So you're some assassin, but I, I don't know. Somebody would have to literally find him out there. He was out there a ways, so. That's what I'm saying. There's just too many unanswered things, and then it, like, it just breaks my heart that this young couple, their their life has kind of been, like, all fucked up. <sighs> anyway, I mean, as soon as he got home to Florida after the disappearance of Gabby, he retained a lawyer and he refused to speak to authorities his lawyer was speaking for him which is smart and part of me is saying maybe that's why he he didn't do it maybe everybody like this is what happens with the media you you get put on trial by the media before you get even put on trial in a court of law so maybe he gets this lawyer he's scared to death he um doesn't say anything because he wants his lawyer to represent him because that's why he's hired and what if somebody else killed him because they were going in and being a vigilante they were like you fucking killed your girlfriend and he really didn't do it we, we don't now we're left we're left with nothing but questions now and that's why what i don't like because the they, only the only two people around who know what was happening are, are both, both dead right 
Gabby disappeared and she found out was found missing. He shows up at his parents' house, freaked out, hires a lawyer because he's freaked out, and he ends up dead. I mean, so Petito, Gabby, she was strangled, and they found her in a remote campsite in Wyoming in September. And he was the subject of a week, Brian was a weeks-long manhunt, manhunt by the FBI, when in reality he was probably dead from the beginning, and they didn't find him until October 20th. So, I don't know. Well, it's, you know, obviously there's any possibility, as you said, somebody could have come across and recognized him and decided to shoot him, but that's really not the case, usually. You're not going to find many people doing that. This got really big, though, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying for Gabby. I'm just saying for him. Right, but I'm saying... I I, I don't want to be like, yeah, it's 100% suicide because all they basically found were bones. Well, I don't know if they even found a gun or not. They may. They found his book bag, and then they found his body with a gunshot to the head. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing other people's thoughts because... Regardless if he actually killed Gabby, it was such a big deal, and then he disappeared and was on a on a manhunt. Remember, they had Dog the Bounty Hunter looking for him, and then they find him with a gunshot wound to the head. Everybody is assuming suicide, but you know how people are crazy, and now everybody is so... They're, armchair detectives what were we just watching where it uh oh we're gonna get into that in a minute i forgot that was on tiger king Uh, (laughs) everybody's an armchair detective now Mm -hmm. everybody has all the resources everybody knows everything how many people were probably like if i find that motherfucker i'm gonna kill him myself he killed that poor innocent girl they were fighting and hitting each other what if he didn't kill her what if she was off, because they were claiming she was on medication, what if she was off her meds? What if she just went out wandering, and then there was some random creepy dude who strangled her, and then, again, Brian got... I'm giving you what-ifs. These are not concrete, evidential proofs, but we are never going to know, because Brian is dead, and Gabby is dead. Right. And because everybody was making such a big deal it was national news everybody's making such a big deal about gabby being found strangled they're assuming it's brian and then brian goes home to the his family because he doesn't know what to do they're like he's on the run and then but the, see that's the reason why is the biggest thing that well what wh- why would he stay in wisconsin he has nobody with him he went no, home but, oh, that's fine but i'm saying is the fact that he wouldn't even talk to cops was a little bit alarming like, I, I wouldn't talk to cops. I'd, I I'd lawyer up and never, he, he a, never, never. He had a lawyer. Yeah, his lawyer talked to the cops. He didn't. Yeah, a lawyer said he won't talk to anybody. That's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. I, I'm going to tell you this, and you may think I'm a criminal or whatever. <laughs> don't care. I don't care if I get pulled into questioning for... Uh, if I die and she doesn't talk, she did it, okay? <laughs> I did not do it. <laughs> Did not do it. I will... I have evidence. There is proof. And this, is again, goes back to our other stuff we're talking about. The American justice system is very flawed. Because 
public defenders and prosecution can only do so much. People with money can do much more. We know this. However, your words, when you are on the record, can be turned into your confession and can be turned into... Well, no one says you have to confess to anything. Yeah, but... But when you're not even open to being interviewed... Anything you say gets put on tape and gets played to the jury. He didn't want anything. He did not want anything to be used against him. I understand why. I would not... I'm, I'm on Brian's side. If Brian is saying that he did not kill this woman... He didn't say that, though. He didn't say anything. That's the problem. That's... I'm just saying. That's you should, the problem. You should think about that, too. Because you're a man. And if I show up missing... Well, let me tell you something. If I'm slapping around like a little doll all the times, I'm probably guilty of killing her. She was slapping him. They were both doing it. But I'm saying is, nobody should be slapping anything. I'm not... I am just saying, and, and this has I, been proven, the police you, will do anything they can to my coerce the confession. is fucking missing... Who do you think I'm going to fault call? Not Ghostbusters. I'm calling the fucking cops. Like, where is my fucking wife? Yeah, I'm not driving somewhere until I get to mommy and daddy in Arkansas to decide, I'm not going to talk to the cops. I know where my wife is, but I'm not telling you. Fuck that. Come on. Come on, man. NFL, come on. <laughs> I hope you get arrested. For you, what? You'll go to jail because you'll just sit there For and what? sing like a fucking canary. You'll, you will confess to nothing because you break under pressure. No, I don't. I don't. Cool, calm, and collected. What are you talking about? I don't break under no pressure. You, you be, don't know pressure. You don't know what pressure <laughs> You, your ass, you, they'll be like, you got mad at your wife a lot, didn't you? Dude, you want to tell you the shit I had to go through, man. Exactly. Don't, you, you just don't respond. That's why I'm saying immediately lawyer up. But your ass is like, you're bringing out conspiracy theories. Now. He's like murdered out in the fucking middle of nowhere. Come on. I'm saying that about Brian. I don't know what happened with Gabby. I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying with Brian, I don't, I, I necessarily don't. That uh, dude ran. He couldn't go anywhere public because he'd be seen. I, I know. But I'm saying, they're just assuming it was suicide. Well, I mean, they can investigate it more, but I'm just saying that... They're, no, that was the official coroner's report, is suicide. Then, then there must be more to it. There must be, like, residue on his hands or something. What hands? It's bones! <laughs> I don't know. They're the coroners. They're the ones that come up with... They're the experts. This is why I'm saying this. Forensics. Oh, my God. <sighs> You and I watch those shows enough to know. They can find anything they need to to find out what happened. I'm just saying, please, just there are two things that you need to remember in life when it comes to <laughs> law or number one, if you ever get arrested, you say nothing and you find a lawyer. Your best friend is a lawyer. You call him immediately and he will find a lawyer for you, right? Well, of course I'm going to call right? him first, yeah? Don't call me. Call Chris. Don't even... You get arrested, don't even call me. You call Chris. Yeah, my mom called Chris first. Exactly. Number two. <laughs> if anything ever happens to me while I'm out sailing and I die, do not accept any settlement that they offer you because there are too many safety protocols that have to be followed 
there is a problem if I die while I'm sailing. Don't be like, oh yeah, Mr. Corporal here, here's the accidental death settlement and here is her life insurance. No, get a lawyer and have that lawyer deal with it because for me to die on a ship, something has to happen. Something serious has to happen. When I say there, are, we have so many safety protocols. Yeah, your that... wife jumped overboard to play with the dolphins. No, you know better. I believe that. Not out in deep water. There's sharks out there. But just those two things in life when it comes to authorities, please keep that in mind. Yeah, I get that, but this is so different than that. Really. Is it now? I'm, I think someone might have killed Brian. Because Based they were, on what? Because every, when, when that poor girl was found and they found that she was strangled everybody is out to get him who's everybody just all the cops want to do is talk to him he was out on the lamb and i think while they had but that's that's sort of why he becomes a suspect because i'm not no i i yes suspect he is the suspect i'm talking about who killed him i think somebody killed him because they were following the news so I, I'm not saying that he killed himself. But what would be their purpose, though? Like Because they're out there to find him. They are a vigilante. They're their uh, own. You don't think so? No. I mean, look, the 1% chance that happened is very minimal. Like, All right, well, we got to get going because we have been talking about right. this way too long. But I'm just saying, like, whoever, most people who come across someone who's like, oh, is that that dude? They're calling the cops. Like, there's no reason to go and kill them. I like you, how you say most people. <laughs> All right. Into our next block of Muzak. Mm-hmm. Uh, classic stuff from Destiny and Midnight not Midnight Darkness. Excuse me. Uh, but we got some new stuff from Beastial Invasion called Gluttony. And we'll be back. <laughs>
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. To our last topic, for those that are terrified or sick of the Tiger King, he's back for season two. And uh, even for those that were kind of tired of this new season, which is only like five episodes, it actually has a lot more twists and everything to the story. Now you can argue it's whether all or not behind the scenes. Yeah, you can argue that maybe some of this is like just people trying to save their asses, so we don't know how much of it's actually well, true. Well, some of it, they admitted they're saving their asses. They're like, we've got all this stuff written down. Right, so they initially said one thing uh, that got Joe Exotic behind bars in the first place, but now because they're now the target of the FBI and everything else, they're kind of like, oh, well, hold on. I've got stuff here that will actually exonerate Joe Exotic and... You know, we now have different stories like who was actually trying to kill who. Uh, more interesting facts about Carol Baskins, that bitch. That Carol bitch. Baskins. Um, so, yeah, the new season is actually, it kind of divides everything up. We've got episode about Carol. We've got an episode about uh, Tim Starks. We've got an episode about Jeff, what's his face? Lowe. Jeff Lowe, yeah. And then, of course, in the midst of all this, we have Joe talking from behind his bars in his little uh, uh, prison cell there, and he's still talking a bunch of mad shit. Uh, he's pissed off at Trump for not pardoning him, but Trump's not going to care about you, dude. really isn't. Um, but let's, what should we start with? Carol? Should we start with her first? Let's start with Don Lewis and his kids. Okay. So Don Lewis was Carol Baskin's first husband. And that was, like, the big joke between everyone in season one. Carol fed Don to the fucking tigers. I, I mean, again, if if you don't want to watch this, we're, we're going to give you a few spoilers. But there's his children um, are claiming Carol forged legal documents like basically had like a stamp made and stamped people's names and um they said they've had handwriting experts who looked into what um the you know the writing was and said that no carol had these forged and um and the reason for that is 
that because every in signature, the will, every signature match exactly the same, which is impossible according to the experts. But a lot of people do have stamped signatures, especially back then in the '90s. That was a big thing that people had stamped signatures made for themselves. So but the one chick that says that her signature was forged. Is she said that, she never even saw right, the documents. Right. So that being said, um. The kids are claiming that Carol rewrote the will. And Carol is claiming that Don rewrote the will because his children were greedy. Mm-hmm. And, and or money grubbing. Fine. Whatever. So, we, we find it really interesting to hear the perspective of the kids. Because I guess after the, the whole Tiger King thing, they really thought it was a good way to... Um, use the popularity so that they could figure out really what happened to their father. Um, they had this lawyer who was really working for them, but then out of nowhere, they decided to Joe get... Joe Phillips. Yeah. They fired Joe Phillips and went with some kind of psychic. <laughs> and Joe, he was really... I mean, I'm sure he's expensive. Again, we're talking about the legal system again. Um, Joe was really finding things that were kind of exonerating um, Joe Exotic on being uh, the person behind the murder for hire thing. He was also finding things that he believed um, that what's his face? Oh god, I just forgot his name. Don Lewis really wasn't killed, but maybe gone. Just on a lamb. Yeah, so he had a found and uncovered these things but it was just i guess not to the children's liking so when joe phillips got pushed to the side and they brought in this psychic who they had this one episode and i swear to god it was like that's probably why they only did one episode with the kids because it was the worst they went with a psychic who has helped people and listen i am not saying it's not possible that people are psychic what i'm saying is Joe Phillips had, like, legitimate evidence, but he wasn't moving at the speed that they wanted. It doesn't... It, they just... They're like, oh, it needs to be faster. Not they, only that, but I think that, you know, the psychic, from what you view on there, as far as the footage, is like... Sometimes they just tell the family what they want to hear. Like, they'll say, yeah, you know, he was killed here, and shot in the back, and... You know, the psychic is like over being over dramatic. Mm-hmm. About He's like, Oh, I'm about to lose and... I'm about to lose my cookies. Yeah. <laughs> He's got the accent. And uh you know, one of the the daughters is there like comforting him like they're best friends and shit. And I'm just like Look, man, Joe is out to try to find answers legally and everything else and you got a guy who's really just kind of going by the seat of his pants without anything to really back up anything and so and I think even when he like the psychic had said that Don was like thrown into this lake or swamp area and they couldn't find anything yeah they actually even had like radar mm-hmm. or sonar I'm not sure what Divers, it was the whole nine and they found nothing no granted it's hard because Alligators, years later, right. etc. However, it's just so crazy. Um, I don't know. I don't even know where to go because I well, they started pulling some compelling evidence about uh, Don 
actually starting to transfer funds and transfer things down to Costa Rica. Well, I think we know that Don, like, is a guy that started to get nervous about Carol in one way or not. So much that she would hurt him. But that, that she would take his money. Right. So he'd already begun the process of, like, distributing his money to different accounts and out of the country. And But the things that are kind of alarm me about Carol Baskins is, one, what we just talked about with the signature stuff, but... There was a case, or there was a point during Don's disappearance where Carol, like, inquired about a guy that she knew to go to Mexico to try to, like, bounty hunt for Don. Mm -hmm. Problem is, this guy's not a real bounty hunter. He's nobody, really. So Carol, as Joe kind of put it in a very intelligent way, if you're going to find someone to try to find someone else, why are you going to rely on a dude who's not, like, the best at his job? Like, why wouldn't you go out to a professional to do this? Mm -hmm. Not to mention, the guy that supposedly went to Mexico to look for Don has denied any involvement of, like, mm -hmm. like even going there at all. Like, she says he went there. This is during her interviews with cops that she mentioned this. The guy apparently didn't know about it. Now being interviewed about it says, no, that never happened. I don't know what she's talking about. I never went to Mexico to look for Don. And so those are some red flags in that. But it gets even weirder as things go on now because now we've got a guy named Tim, uh, is it Barks? What was the name? Tim something? Uh, but this is a friend of Joe's from a long time, and he's also caretaker of wildcats and whatnot and he's just as crazy as the rest of them so he uh sort of banded together with jeff lowe for a while uh once joe was in prison and they were trying to run their thing but see tim was going to bring his animals down to jeff oh because they took over because okay yeah joe went in business jeff is a lying piece of shit he has frauded so many um, organizations and charities so he frauded Joe and basically Tim, uh, Jeff ended up with Joe's zoo now Tim um, where is he he um, partnered with, with uh, Jeff and he had his other animals at different zoos too was trying to bring them and combine them Tim was working. Jeff is always about the hookers and the strippers. Remember, he said he wanted to put, like, strippers in. Yeah. Yeah. For a family type Tim Stark. Atmosphere. I couldn't think his last name. That's yeah. right. So, uh, but Jeff wanted to put in, like, this strip club on the same property as the zoo. And it was crazy. But Tim, as he's coming from his location to where the exotic uh, place is had a trailer full of animals that he didn't have well air conditioned so like he didn't have the upkeep on his trailer so during his process of driving down there these animals are in extreme heat and they're dying and he doesn't care like he's not even stopping he to like check hid on them it. right so it was so ridiculous that like once he got to where jeff was all the animals were dead like they had to end up burying them or whatever 
And so, but Starks is like a guy that supposedly cares about his animals. He's like, no, they're never going to take my animals with me. I, I love these animals. They're my... Yeah, he was threatening to kill all the animals. Right. Yeah. Guys like that is like, they're my addiction. I love them. But then he's like, no, no one's ever going to take them, so I'll kill them before they can take and them. And remember when he was like, he called himself Sue? He yeah. was like like the Johnny Cash Yeah, song. he's trying to pretend he has like a split personality between Sue and Tim Spark, or Starks. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just like, man, you're just a fucking nut job. And then finally, when the FBI raids his place to take his animals, because he, you know, he he's lost in court. He's like one of those guys. He went in the court, was threatening people indirectly about like, you know, fuck you. All the witnesses, he was telling them, you're gonna go down. I'm gonna take you down. And then the cops are like, "Don't like, you can't threaten people." He's like, well, "I can do whatever I want. I'm not like physically getting with him or whatever." Talking shit in front of the judge. The judge is like, dude, you are just, nah. He called the judge. Right. Yeah, once the FBI got there, they were going to, like, go in and get the animals and stuff. He's like, no, no. I'm going to call the judge. The judge said, yeah, you will abide by this And I'm, I'm, I'm ending this call. Right. The judge is like, why the fuck is this dude calling me? Uh, so Tim is, like, driving off the, uh, the park, and then, like, he just takes off. Like, he literally goes on a run. And then they catch him, like, in a couple states later. But it, it was just so funny because this dude talks such mad smack about, like, how he's going to, like, fight the government and fight cops with guns. And, I mean, he literally was a nut job. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time he got caught, though, he had a fake hand grenade that was just plastic or some shit. Because he was, like, showing videos where he's like, yeah, I got something waiting for them. It was fake. Dude's, dude was, like, a pussy, big-time pussy. So... Eventually, he's going to prison, and he's going to get butt-fucked by Bubba and company, so good for him. But then we move on to Jeff and his lady. Who... And they're admitting that they lied about the murder for hire, and so is the hitman. It was supposed to be that they just needed to get Joe out of the picture. Joe was supposed to be, like, the person being killed. Or, let's just blame Joe for this. Yeah, initially when Jeff... Because got, Jeff Jeff, had, Jeff, and Joe were 50-50. They wanted to get Joe out of the picture so that J- Jeff could take over Joe's zoo. And that's what Jeff does. He, you know, convinces people and finagles his way into stuff. Like, Joe got Jeff to sign as the owner because he was afraid Carol... Because Carol had her... Um, what would you call her? Uh, she had a lawsuit against yeah. Joe. And that's what and she was Joe doing. wanted to get his name off of it and put Jeff as the owner. So that she couldn't get so she, But she could because it was the same zoo. So he thought he was protecting himself and the animals, but in reality, he was not. And in the end, Carol got the zoo from Jeff. But in that end, uh, Jeff mm-hmm. was trying to get full ownership of everything, including the animals. So... Um, I was trying to thought. Well, so Jeff got full ownership of the animals, and it was either kill Joe or get Joe to a point where he, yeah, prison or a point where he cannot be uh, an equal partner anymore. So that's where Alan, the uh, hitman, and Alan was saying he was never told to go kill Carol. He was saying he was told to go kill Joe. Yeah, and that's where it, it gets really interesting. Because Alan never was, I mean, if he's supposedly the hitman and they're using his full name and real name, he's like, 
I don't, Alan said, I don't care if I go to jail, I want the truth to be out. Alan still has yet to be arrested, and... Well, it should be clear that Joe did ask Alan to kill Carabaskins. That actually happened, but what happens is... Indirectly, through a text message. Right, but they ask Alan in the interview, they're like, did you have an intention of killing Carabaskins? He says, no. And they say, well, who are you going to kill? He says, Joe. And, uh... But there's this thing where, like, Alan is actually good friends with Joe and Al, or Jeff, and he really, like, I don't know, Alan had some sort of, like, seeing God or turning a leaf type moment in this series because he's like, I just got to come clean. So this is what he's doing. Like, Jeff thought that Alan was just going to talk about certain things about the, the hit job, but he ends up exposing Jeff as the one that like told him to go kill Joe. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that opens up the door for a lot of things. Now on the other hand, Jeff and his lady are trying to side with Joe saying cuz they don't want the FBI in their asses. <clears throat> so they're basically saying, "Yeah, we made it all up about the uh, you know, kill for hire thing for Carol, like we wanted Joe out of the way, so now we're team Joe." And of course, Joe He'll take anything he can get at this point. So he's like, well, yeah, you know, he's a dickhead, but, you know, he's coming out and being honest about it, so that's good. I need to get the fuck out of here. So the the, the last episode kind of just leaves you hanging in terms of where they're going to be at, but this is the conundrum that everything faces because you got Alan, who's really the, the flying ointment. He's the one that's throwing the wrench into everything because he's now pointing the finger at Jeff, and, you know, now Carol... Basically, it kind of tells us that Joe wasn't going to try to kill Carol Baskin. So, it's a mess. So, what I find really interesting is we're seeing that people that knew Carol Baskin's first husband are claiming he was just setting up his new life. We're seeing all of Joe's contemporaries just wanted him out of the picture so that they could take over. And now we're seeing Carol, who owns all of Joe's properties because she won the lawsuit. Yeah. And now poor Joe has cancer. And they didn't show this in the documentary. He is being transported to a different federal facility. It's a medical facility. And he has aggressive, I think, prostate cancer or um, pancreatic cancer. I can't remember. There were some interesting things, too, in the um, second season where he, uh, you know, Joe had his young husband who, I mean, I don't necessarily blame him. He's very young. I mean, he might have been early 20s. and he no, just the one that moved on. Yeah, he moved on. We got Joe... In prison, I mean, I don't know how much internet time you're allowed in prison. Is that a thing? Are you allowed on the internet now in prison? Maybe it's monitored? It, it's got to be monitored. There's probably, like, only certain sites you can access, you know. My computer just died. I have to plug it in. So I'm wondering if, like, because he started that, that Bachelor King thing, that Bachelor Yeah. King, remember? And he was getting, like, thousands of people. Yeah, believe it or not, he was a hot commodity, you know. Part of that probably just people like fame chasing. Mm -hmm. but <clears throat> he was getting some lookers as far as dudes are concerned. But yeah, and and they were really interested. <laughs> Fine. I just here's me being the armchair detective, like we saw on the air. 
I am more interested in some of the new information that we found out about Don Lewis. Like, why do they not have, like, a financial, um, what's the word? Trail. Uh, One of those guys, um, who do, they do the audits and they can follow follow yeah. the money. Yeah. Uh, uh, there, there's like a a person. Their job is, there. They dig through. Find. I'm really interested to see because, apparently, Carol and Don were not having the happiest of marriages, and Carol made it very clear that she didn't want half. She wanted it all. Mm-hmm. So I think Don was trying to shelter some of his finances, and then. I almost believe Don is in Costa Rica because when he, when he disappeared, it was still to the point where it's easier to, it was the late nineties. So anything before 2000, this is just me. It's easier. If you disappeared between before 2000, it's easier to stay disappeared than if I say I disappeared now. Well, the thing is, and if Don is ever found, if he actually is alive, that's going to, like, clear up a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But there are people that Don knew in Costa Rica that said, he's not even here. We don't know. We haven't seen him for, you know, years. And that, that might be, you know. But the reality is, like, the only person that really makes out here is Baskins. Because with all the drama between Jeff, Tim, and Joe, with all this shit about the, <laughs> the murder for Isles shit... People are just kind of, like, overlooking Carol's, like, indiscretions as far as, like, the whole, like, you know, guy going down to Mexico or the forging. Like, she's kind of escaping some of this now. Who knows what we have in store for the next time. They're they're definitely going to have a season three at some point, I'm sure. I hope they do. Because there needs to be some sort of conclusion to all this shit. But uh, so far, she's probably enjoying the fact that it's all about the guys and not her. Whoops. Sorry. Uh, my phone was on silent. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we'll be waiting for season three for sure. I'm waiting for season three. You know it's going to... People are drawn to Tiger King. And I was actually trying to look up something with a... Relating to Tiger King, but that was an ad. So I had to <laughs> shut it up real fast. Because <laughs> my computer died. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to have something about Don Lewis. The other thing, too, remember... Um, he was actually shipping literal money like actual cases of money to Costa Rica now the one thing I find really interesting about Costa Rica is um, there's a guy that I work with he goes to Costa Rica on vacation a lot because one of the girls that he dates is from Costa Rica and she lives there part time lives up here part time it's half and half like I don't want to call it like third world country, but it's also it's very like it's easy if you just want to fucking disappear. It would be like us moving up to Alaska and living off the land because there is so much. There's uh, and this is for anyone in the U.S. There is a lot of um, land that is kind of like unclaimed land. If you and I decided we're gonna go up northern Maine, which is fucking cold as shit. And we said we want this land. We can claim it ourselves, but there's no, like, there's no plumbing. There's no, we'd have to be able to sustain ourselves, live off. That's, there's a lot of that in Costa Rica where it's the jungle. 
so there's parts of the areas where you can just kind of have your own air and sustain yourself. It would be like somebody who said they're going to like build their own little compound, hideout, whatever. It's possible to do that in the U.S., but you really have to be, you know, sustainable. You have you you have to e either be capable of living off the land. You have to be capable of producing your own energy. You have to be capable of, you know, building something. And Don seemed like he had some deep pockets and, and he knew a lot of people. So he probably got himself set up. He probably got his money put into place where he wanted it to be put into place. And his, he was sending animals down to Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. He Legally. <laughs> well, but I mean... Anywho. That is what fascinates me yeah. about Tiger it's King. It's going to be a continued story for sure because there's still a lot that we have to uncover. And like we said, it's probably going to be a season three because there's this opens up like a whole new thing now with everything that's going on. So we'll see how it unfolds. Uh, coming up, got some Dead War from Horror Pain, Mike Giuliano. Uh, Remain Untamed, also got Bullet Ride, as well as the request for Kevin for some Testament. Testament! But here's some brand new Outer Tomb, so we'll be back after this.
Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too.
DJ Nubis here with you. Metal Time Radio Podcast. Necro's taking care of some dinner items for us. So I'm going to close out this show. That was a request by Kevin for some testament. So many lives. And I want to say from the ritual, Kevin, that's my favorite track. So good call on that. Appreciate that a lot. Love going back to that record. Uh, anywho, thanks for all for tuning in today. Hope you enjoyed the music and the topics we discussed. As always, if you got any requests for uh, music you want to hear us play on the podcast, or even if you just want to discuss some of the topics and give your opinions on them, you can always do it when I post them up on social media. So feel free, doesn't matter what it is, Twitter, uh, Broncos Forum, or even on Facebook, etc. If you got something you want to say, let it out. We're open to anything. Going to leave you with one last track. Exodus, brand new stuff for them. Uh, This is called Slipping Into Madness, and we will catch you all next time. Peace.